Talk dirty to me. The Quick and the Dirty with Hillary and Sandra. You're kidding me. Here are things that I Talk have put in my mouth. Uh, oh my God, Hillary. <laughs> it's what everyone is talking about. Get jazzy on. Hi, I'm Hillary from London. Hi, I'm Sandra from Ottawa, and this is the Quick and the Dirty podcast. It's basically what you talk about with your friends behind closed doors, except we do it out loud on the radio. That's right. I love I love your description of it because when my husband asked me, what's your podcast about? I literally just said, stuff. And that answer suited him just fine. And I'm thinking, oh, that's really just stuff. All right, good. <laughs> or or he just it's didn't care. It's girl stuff. <laughs> I, know. I should say just girl stuff. That's That's even better. Then he'll run away screaming and not ask any more questions. He has, when I, as soon as I said it's, you know, relationship whatever, he's like, oh, I'll, start, I'll listen to it one day. He still hasn't listened to it. I think my boyfriend listened once and was like, oh, that's nice. Because <laughs> you know why? They listen to us talk incessantly all day long. They know what we sound like. Yeah. And they don't want to know what we really think about them. You know what? I like this. This is, this is like our little <laughs> special lady cave. <laughs> That's not what my little special lady cave looks like. Heads up. <laughs> Mine is very, very reminiscent of this, actually. <laughs> Total shit show. <laughs> Total shit show. Oh, my God. Speaking of shit shows. Speaking, well, two babies later. I can't even tell you about the crime scene. <laughs> Hillary, let me start with the quick. Please let me start with the quick. Okay, go, go, go. It, it's the quick this week for me is about personal shame that I've been dealing with. Literally, I feel like the lady in Game of Thrones who walked down the corridor. Shame, <laughs> shame. This week, I was lucky enough to uh, be featured in a BuzzFeed article. Uh, it was the 24 things radio DJs don't want you to know. And, you know, they do their little lists. And they grabbed an Instagram photo that I put up months ago of my dirty lipstick-soaked microphone. And I thought it was a cute, funny post, but that post has caused me so much shame, Hillary. So much shame. <laughs> you know what? A couple of years ago, I went and visited the studios in Ottawa because another friend of mine worked there, and I noticed your mic. I sat in your chair, and I was like, oh, that's gross. Because it's not just lipstick, because you weren't the super makeup freak you are now. It had, like, I don't know, gunge on it. <laughs> <laughs> like dog saliva? Or or human saliva mixed with your breakfast. Yeah. Like Maybe. oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I can't even dispute that because I, looking at the picture, it's like, holy shit, are you kidding me? And you don't even pay attention. You just come, you know, you don't, I didn't even look at my mic every day. And then I did that one day and I'm like, oh my God. So what happened is that we moved into a new studio recently and I thought I got a new microphone, which is why it was, it's now so pristine. Turns out that the engineers here at the station dismantled the microphone, cleaned it with a toothbrush and alcohol, whatever they clean it with. And they, they like had to d- clean that disgusting, gross mess. But to be fair, they should have been doing that all along. Well... Maybe, but now I've since bought, I've bought like wipes and stuff to clean my mic every day because out of respect, I'm so embarrassed. Because <laughs> you don't want a second post 10 years from now. Can you imagine? So, but really, I got notes from engineers from across North America who saw that BuzzFeed post, reached out to me personally to tell me how disgusting I am and have more respect for the people you work with. I mean, I got told off. instead, And even in this building, a couple of people told me off and were like, you're just disgusting. And I'm like, hey, but I'm, I'm on BuzzFeed. <laughs> Can I please get a high five, you fuckers? But that didn't happen. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been completely shamed. And anyway. That's awful. I feel bad. Don't feel bad for me. I'm, I, how else am I going to learn? Shaming actually works. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> but you're hilarious because you were like, don't you have like a spitty thing? 
And I, and Hillary, I, when I was, this is like a soft subject with me, a soft, like it's tough because when I was a child, I had a lisp. You have a speech impediment? I, yes, I did. <laughs> and you know what's the worst? When you have a, I promise you every kid who's ever had a lisp has had an S in their name. My name is Sandra Plagakis. So when I was a kid, I'd be like, hi, I'm Sandra. I'm Sandra Plagakis. Oh, shit. I would sit in my room and it was so, and back then, you know, you didn't have speech therapists. So my, I used to sit in my room and look in the mirror and go, my name is Sandra, 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 Sandra. Is that how you got rid of your lisp? Yeah, I just kept saying Sandra until I finally corrected my speech by myself. That's amazing. Is it? It is. It's like a, it's a heartwarming story of survival and overcoming things. And shame and all of the things. And now, and now it's like come back to haunt me in a different way because like my saliva is all over the microphone anyway. So literally I'm that eight year old girl saying, Sandra, Sandra in the mirror now. (laughs) You know, there's some creepy ass person who was totally turned on by that microphone. Oh my God. Yeah. It's being passed around on the black market right now. That picture. Being licked by strangers. <laughs> so disgusting. Oh my God. Hey, my name is Sandra. Look me up. <laughs> I know. I know. Let's laugh uh, at my pain, everybody. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can we just talk a moment? I, I have a bunch of events coming up in the near future, and I'm so annoyed by them. Really? Why? Baby showers and wedding showers and weddings period should be obliterated. They're such a pain in the ass. If you need me to come and take out your knees, girl, I will. I'll take <laughs> honestly because I feel your pain. Do you, like, do you honestly hate that? It's not that I am not happy for people. Of course, I'm super happy for you. And these are close friends of mine that I care a lot about. And I'm, I'm so excited for them to have their dreams come true. Oh, you're just but a bad person. Oh, the stupid parties make me crazy, especially baby showers. There's nothing worse than a baby shower. Like, I really want to play Guess What Chocolate Bar Got Melted to Look Like Shit in a Diaper. (laughs) Or the worst is when they make you wear that stupid paper plate hat, and then they put the ribbons on it, and you just look like an idiot at the end of it. I've been lucky enough never to be married or have children, so it's not been a me thing. If anyone ever does that, wedding shower or baby shower, if I ever, ever have one, we're getting loaded unless I'm pregnant, and <laughs> and and we're not playing any stupid games. And they're the no, wor- I don't know who decided that was games. a good idea. You know what you should do? You could should go to Vegas, and make and and make a movie called Rough Night. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The worst game of all is the guess the circumference of the pregnant lady. Like. That is so mean as somebody who's been fat their whole life. Oh, my God. Like, why don't we play that at my birthday? That's <laughs> Why don't you just put me on a scale and weigh me, you jerks? <laughs> Literally, how much do I weigh? Why don't we do that? Do we get to have a party a year later? How much does she still have on? <laughs> oh, my God. That's so true. And they did that at mine. I'm remembering now. I had pushed that down for so long, but you just reminded me. It is the ultimate shame, isn't it? It's awful. And then all your mothers and grandmothers are like, hey, you have to be nice because you can't swear. And the worst part is you're sitting next to someone's aunt three times removed. You have nothing in common with. (laughs) And then they all think it's okay to comment on your body. When When they did that to me, do you know what someone said to me? Oh, you're carrying that baby in your ass. (laughs) 
Fuck you. I'm pretty sure I'm not. I just have a fat ass. Actually, for... that's just lunch. No. <laughs> it's just a little cushion for the pushing piece of shit. Oh anyway. my God. People are so insensitive. And why do women put themselves up for these things? You know, because we want free shit. <laughs> but wedding showers are almost as bad because people always bring like dirty items, lingerie and dildos or whatever, and you're sitting next to your grandma. It's super weird. You know what? I think, too, that when you're having that wedding, you really relish being the center of attention because you'll never be again. Once you start having babies, your life is not even about you anymore. So, you know, a lot of women just really enjoy that attention. I guess. But it's like, congratulations. He got one in. We get it. You guys were sloppy that night. We understand. (laughs) It's awful. And like, how awkward is it to announce that you're pregnant to your family? We did it. And then your dad looks at you like, you son of a bitch. What did you do to my daughter? (laughs) Then your parents start imagining you having sex. Oh, yeah. It's not good. No, there's nothing good going on there. And the other issue I have is weddings. Deciding how much money to give at weddings is the goddamn worst thing. Yes, it is. Do you give a lot of money or do you have like a... like? They say that you should cover the cost of your dinner, but other people say that that's hooey, that you just give based on your relationship. So I have this wedding that I'm going to in a couple of weekends. They're lovely people, but we're not super close. We're pretty good acquaintances. And? And uh, it's they actually were married in March in Costa Rica. They're coming home for this. It's in a backyard. It's a catered barbecue. How much money do you friggin' give to those people? It's not even a real wedding. You're having a fake wedding so you can you can get gifts, basically, right? Well, you're having a fake wedding so people can celebrate you. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. They want a couple of bucks for this. Right. And they, they ask for cash because they're going to Costa Rica. They don't want to ship stuff. <laughs> that, they didn't want you at the real ceremony, but they'll take you at the fake ceremony. And by the way, can you bring something? How much are you going <laughs> to give, though, honestly? <sighs> I'm like, hundo? Yeah. That's at, for a backdoor barbecue? Backdoor barbecue? What kind of celebration do you think this is? A backyard barbecue. A backdoor barbecue is a lot sketchier. They don't even let you in the house. That's the worst. I just realized where this can go. And I just like it to stop now. I just want to stop this before it goes any further. Okay, I will allow that to happen. Oh, Sandra, Sandra, calm down, Sandra. <laughs> Sandra. Sandra. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Well, I think that pretty much rounds up the quick. <laughs> oh, God, I need a smoke now. <laughs> I smoke. I need... That's right, sorry. I smoke. <laughs> I need our, we need our next guest to really manage our expectations, uh, right? Yeah, that- if we're having trouble keeping things clean now, when our next guest comes, it's not going to get any better because we are welcoming a very special intimate writer. Today on The Quick and the Dirty, we are really excited in a sexual way, to welcome New York <laughs> Times and USA Today best-selling author Zoe York. She's a mom, a wife, and a wordsmith of some super sexy literature. And she also writes under the moniker Ainsley Booth for Frisky Beater, for Frisky Beaver's erotic romance series. Now, how the heck did you start writing romance novels? Well, I, uh, really, I started reading them. And... Um, 
a friend of mine, while I was on maternity leave, gave me a, her old Kobo. And I had always read romance novels, but I had picked them up like at yard sales and on clearance racks, that sort of thing. And I didn't pay attention to if a book was part of a series or who an author was. I just consumed them because I loved them. But I was I was one of those kind of casual readers who didn't follow the genre or anything like that. And then my friend got me a Kobo and ebooks changed how I thought about books as a reader, as a consumer, right? Because when you get to the end of an ebook, it says, and there's more books in this series. And I'm like, yes. Hook, one line, and sinker right there. Uh, totally. Yeah. So I started, it. really, I started writing because I started reading ebooks and I got a better understanding of people write these series, these long series set in the same world with, you know, recurring characters and that sort of thing. And I, I got hooked on one series and I got to the end of it and I was like, no, I want more. But maybe like it would be even better if the series was set in Canada. <laughs> yeah, because Canadians can be dirty too. Totally we can. So then I, I randomly just started writing it. And that's kind of how, I mean, nobody has read that particular book. It was terrible. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your family, what do your family and friends think about you writing this kind of stuff? They have been the most supportive group at, from from day one. Like, I am terrible with secrets. Um, I could never do a, a secret pen name. I could never be vague and elusive about what I was writing. I, like, screamed it from the rooftops. And I don't know if it was that my enthusiasm was just contagious, and so they were like, oh, well, if you love it, then we love it, or if they actually think it's cool, but I don't care. Either way, I'll take it. Um, and they've just been super supportive right from day one. Did you, know? did you say, Mom, Dad, I'm writing this book. It's a frisky beavers kind of a thing. And then they're like, that's great, honey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't start writing Ainsley books first. So my very first book was pretty tame in comparison. Although, I mean, it is open door and it's pretty dirty. The first book that I finished is a book called What Once Was Perfect. And it's the start of a small town series set in Ontario, set in a fictional town right near Kingsville um, in in the, you know, Essex County, Peely Island kind of area. Oh, yeah. Set, all right. Set among wineries. And, um, and no, my family wasn't shocked at all by that. They thought that that was great. Um, and then, and you know, it is funny because when I did get the idea to write the dirtier stuff, the more erotic romance, I did create another pen name. And I didn't keep it a secret, but I did warn my family that they might not want to read that. Like everybody in my family, every single person in my family bought a copy of my first book. Like they were the only people to buy a copy of my first book. <laughs> yeah, thank God for family, right? <laughs> right. I had a very, um, very slow start to publishing. And um, and so when I when I launched the new pen name and the dirtier books, I was like, this one you might want to skip. <laughs> I don't know. We we don't talk about whether or not they've read those. But do you think there was a demand? You know, you started off, you say, with the softer huh. stuff, and then you sort of moved on and had a you know a, a, a different name to, to yep. write different, dirtier books. Was is there a demand for that really scintillating content? Oh yeah, especially in ebook format, right? Oh, because really? then, oh yeah, because then there's no limits to what somebody can read, like buy and read, and they don't have to leave their home to buy it. They can read it in privacy because nobody can see what's on their cell phone or on their e-reader. Yeah, screen. there's no physical evidence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but and but there's also just as many people who are super proud of reading that stuff because 
it it gives them, you know, it's empowering to women because it's all about women's pleasure in a positive way. Um, and they also find huge online communities of readers that, yeah, it, it, like so, uh, you know, not everybody is shy about loving that stuff. Absolutely. Now, you explained this to me once before, but if you could explain the difference between your Zoe books and your Ainsley books. So, well, so it's funny because as a writer, I think of the difference in craft terms and writing craft terms that don't readers don't actually care, right? They're happy to just read a good story. Um, the difference is that Ainsley has zero limits. She will write about absolutely anything, any sexual position, any relationship dynamic. Um, and Zoe respects some of the more normal conventions of the the romance genre. So Zoe will never write a book that has a cliffhanger, that um that kills somebody, that has cheating, anything like that. But Ainsley, I've been really clear from the start with my readers, like she has no limits. Um, and then the other big difference is that my Zoe books are written in third person past tense and my Ainsley books are written in first person present tense. And so there's a little bit of a voice difference there. And one's easy would be an easier read? Yeah. So uh, w- one thing that I discovered after writing my Zoe books is that the average American reader, North American, the average North American reader, particularly in ebook um, consumption, reads at about a third grade reading level. And my Zoe books, when you run them through like a, there's a this analyzer, um, they they read a little bit above that because the paragraphs are longer and more complicated and that sort of thing. And I was like, okay, so when I, you know, reboot with Ainsley, I'm going to try and do shorter sentences, lots more white, a lot of, a lot more white space on the page, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so they're, 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 they grade really closely to that third grade reading level. Not the content though. Should not the really content clear. though. But it's, so it's not intimidating <laughs> though. I get that. So you, yeah. you look at a page and it's not, and it's not like, you know, when you open a book and it's a thousand pages and all the words are squished together, it's like, oh, settle in bitch. We're going to be here for a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like exactly. that. Okay. No. And neither are my, Zoe, like my Zoe books aren't like an, like an, a high fantasy epic tome or anything like that, but just because that would be like like those high fantasy books, they're at like a grade eight reading level. They're very dense, you know, very slow reads. My Zoe books would be at like a fifth grade reading level, and then my Ainsley books, content excluded, are at a third grade reading level. Is it weird to know that people are masturbating to your literature? <laughs> right. So there is this hashtag that some people use on their book reviews, um, hashtag one-handed read. And oh, my God. I, you know, that is a little oh weird. God. That is a little bit weird to know that. Um, on the other hand, you know. Well, I know now I, w- I wouldn't want your book in paperback. <laughs> and I wouldn't want it passed around to me. Thanks. I'll take it on the Kobo every, every time. <laughs> Yeah. Waterproof case. <laughs> yeah, if you um, if you buy a paperback copy, you want to get nowhere. That's right. But why do you yeah. think we like reading this so much? Because you know, even when I was in my twenties, I read so many Danielle Steele books. Yeah. I mean, softer stuff than you're writing, of course, and you know, Jackie Collins. But I love yeah. that. I loved it. It was so entertaining and fun, and the, I love the heroines in the story. Why do you, why do we love it so much? It's you know because love is universal, and um, we are fascinated by love stories. Sweet ones, spicy ones, you know, all of those. Um, Love is not always a part of it. (laughs) Just a heads up. (laughs) um, In a romance novel, it always ends with love, right? It's always a journey towards a happy ever after ending, um, which isn't 
that's not always the way it is in real life, although experiencing love is is you know, innate to the human condition. Um, but experiencing that happy ever after ending isn't always um, universal. And so we sometimes look for that in our literature or in our films and our television shows. It's the same reason why soap operas are popular. Um, and it's not just the love part, but the conflict to get there, right? We love to watch and read conflict because life is hard and we like to see people overcome that. What about expectations, though? I mean, you if you start reading all of these books, do you, you know, turn off your Kobo and then look at your husband and say, <laughs> why can't you be like Dr. Bad Boy? Why can't you be like him? I mean, is that happening, too, that we that your, your expectations are just too high and nobody can live up to the fairy tale? Yeah, I don't think so. And the reason why I don't think so is because um, it's a fantasy. You know, it's the same reason why you can watch porn or um, fantasize about Channing Tatum without putting that expectation on your partner. Um, And there are lots of partners who read these books together. And then the other thing is, particularly when you get to the more extreme books, right, the heroes are so over the top that you wouldn't actually want that in real life. Maybe one night. (laughs) But not like to keep. No. Yeah. Like in a controlled fashion. Like, (laughs) but no, like there, it's, um, sometimes it's strictly fantasy and you wouldn't want it in real life. But you know, there are lots of romances, like my Zoe York romances are, you know, there's nothing in there that isn't a reasonable expectation for a healthy relationship. There's no, um, you know, crazy over-the-top romantic gestures or crazy over-the-top sexual hijinks. However, the male characters do talk about their feelings, which in some relationships <laughs> is a fantasy. That is a fantasy. A true like story. Yeah. That, so, but men are reading these books, too. You say the couples are yeah. reading together. So when you, when you sit down and you decide, okay, I'm going to write this book, who, who is your reader? Who are you writing it for? Mostly I'm writing it for myself. And so readers who are just like me, um, moms, grandmas, um, women who have experienced love and maybe lost love or um, women who want to experience love. Like I write a very sweet, romantic, happy ever after ending at the end of the book. And if you want like an ugly cry book or over the top angst, you're not going to find that in my books. Um, so So I write for readers who are just like me. Because that's what you want. Yeah. That's I always like I am never the person who I don't watch soap operas. Um, I don't watch, um, you know, movies that go drag on three movies in a row to get to like the, you know, where it's like cliffhanger after cliffhanger. I don't I don't like any of that. I like to read a feel good book. So when you start a book, you essentially know how you're going to end that book. Yeah. Well, yes. I don't know. I know where it's going to end. I don't know how it's going to get there. And how long does it take to actually write a book? really depends on how difficult the book is. Every project is slightly different, but about two months, um, give or take months. <laughs> <laughs> now, you yeah. work on deadlines with yeah. an editor. Yes. What's it like to always be under pressure? Well, so I, you only want to work on a deadline with an editor if that suits your personality. I am very deadline-oriented, Um But that being said, I also hire editors that are kind of flexible (laughs) in that. Like, I 
I, I, I always work right up to my deadline, and I always get it like 95% done, and then I always blow the deadline like just by a little bit. Um, and so I know I like the pressure. Um, without it, I would fret and futz and push and prod at a book for months. You know, so I like to just know, okay, this is the this is the cutoff. And then I send my book off to an editor. And while she is revising, like working on a revision letter for me, I'll start another project so that I've always got a couple of things on the go. Now, you have a lot of fan clubs online and ways that list, or readers can get a hold of you. Where are those? So mostly on Facebook. So if you search for either of my names, Zoe York or Ainsley Booth, on Facebook, you will find my reader groups. My Zoe York reader group is called Wardom Ambassadors. Wardom is a <laughs> – so Wardom is the name of the, the fictional town that I put next to Kingsville. And I thought, having grown up in southwestern Ontario, it sounded like a small town like Wingham, um, you know, and uh, it's not easily recognizable as a small town name outside of southwestern Ontario. So that's that 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 was a learning experience for me. I named my next town Pine Harbor, which was much more universal small town name. Um, anyway, so the Ward of Ambassadors is my Zoe York um, Facebook group, and Ainsley. I keep changing the Ainsley Booth group name. I think it. I think right now it's Ainsley Booth's. Frisky Beavers, Billionaires, and Bad Boys fan club. <laughs> I love it. I will take one of each. Yeah. <laughs> that will be my next book, yeah. one of each. <laughs> oh, I'll be reading that one for sure. That's so awesome. So you have this great community and your Facebook groups, and, and you're connected, it seems like, to a lot of your readers. Do you listen to what they ask for? No. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I know that that sounds like that's the wrong answer, but it's not because – as a writer, you have to follow your muse and also trust your gut, right? So I definitely ask them for input, but I'm careful about how I frame the questions. So I will ask them to help me name characters, for example, because that's input that doesn't change my creative process too much. But if I ask them, and here's the other thing about readers, readers don't know what they don't know yet, right? So when I say, what do you think I should write next? They don't know how awesome the unknown idea is. And so they will always vote for more of what they've experienced already. Right. Which is why they do another, people keep going with the series. People know what they love. Yeah. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And I totally, when, when readers tell me that they love a series, I keep writing in that series. But I have learned to not be afraid of their apprehension about a new series because a new series is where you find new readers. And once you launch a new series, your old readers will give it a try. Now, the material is quite sexy and dirty. (laughs) Do you ever get weird messages or whatever correspondence from readers? Yeah. I don't... The messages that I get aren't as bad as male authors. So there are there are lots of male romance authors as well. They get direct propositions because people mistake them for their book heroes, which is not the case. They're just like normal human beings. A man who would write this sexy book, oh yeah, he'll take right? me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be right there. And so I don't want to complain too much about the inappropriate messages that I get because they're not directed to me. They're not like personal propositions. Right. Um, but I do get 
angry messages about things that I've done to my characters. Um, I do get very explicit messages about what my characters should do in a future book. <laughs> You're like, and I, I, so I've learned not to read them. So I, I, I all writers are introverts. Like it's just by our nature. And so we tend to like, particularly when I'm on a deadline, um, I tend to like ignore the world and let my messages like pile up. And I just don't, because I don't, like I got one, I got a message last week and I responded quite politely to it. And she had said that she didn't like this new inappropriate turn that my books had taken. And she wanted me to go back to the sweeter stuff that I originally started with, which is really, I mean, the first book that I wrote, um, like it has like a blowjob scene with an Altoids. Um, it has like sex on a boat. It has, um, you know, like there's like a, there's a, there's a. It's in no way PG. No, there's a Little Red Riding Hood, Big Bad Wolf role play at the end of that book. Like it's, I don't know what this, what this sweet origins is that she thought. And so she replied to me again. She was like, I don't think you got my point. And I was like, whoa, lady, I don't think you got my point. And that was the moment when I realized that I should probably like stop engaging. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're writing for yourself. But, you know, you have all these different characters. Do you do you ever use people from your life as inspiration as characters? No, no, that would be too weird. That but would you be. Can't, you can't tell me parts of your life aren't inspired because you oh. wrote a whole series about soldiers. And are yeah. you... My husband's a soldier, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, well, now so, we're talking, girl. <laughs> Hello. Um, so I, I, like, no character in my book is inspired by any one person that I know. But lots of my characters draw on the reality that is around me, which is, like, that seems like a weird distinction. But, like, so, for example, one of my best friends is a librarian. And so I have two librarian characters, but neither of them are Hannah, like not right. at all. But what I know about her being a librarian informs right. you know, those you two You understand the environment and what could yeah. possibly go wrong or happen or yeah. what it would be like. Yeah. But like my husband, so for example, like my husband, um, he's a, he's a, he's a, a company sergeant major. I would never write a company sergeant major like character who's that closely related to what he's doing. So everybody who all of my soldiers, they all do different things than what my husband right. does basically. Yeah. Has there ever been a time where you felt a little bit of nervousness telling people what you do? Maybe like parent teacher night at school <laughs> or like in a group of moms that are super judgy. But then like, yeah. I'm sure you get some fans, but do you yeah. ever worry that people judge you by what you do? Um, no. I mean, I know other people do. I don't worry about anybody judging me because I'm pretty confident in how I present what I do. And I'm also, I always just present that I'm a writer first, right? Like it takes them like three steps into the conversation to find out that it's romance novels that I write. Um, if they're three steps into a conversation, I can generally gauge how they're going to react. Um, and then I, and then it's up to me whether or not I give them my pen name because Zoe York isn't my legal name, um, which wasn't actually a deliberate choice. Like I'm not hiding behind it or anything, but my real name um, wasn't, I couldn't find a do the domain name for it. Like there are, my real name um, there are, there's a wedding cake designer and a lawyer and they all have lots of internet mm -hmm. landscape, right? So anyway, so no, um, but I, that being said, I don't bring it up, right? So right. I let people ask me. Okay. And that's generally, that, that's been a good strategy. 
That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What do your kids think about what you do for a living? <laughs> so my oldest, for years, thought that I physically made books, like I, that I bound them. <laughs> that you were gluing them together? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Amazing. And he was, he was disappointed when he found out that I only wrote the words inside. God, yeah, what a letdown, huh? <laughs> so cool when you can glue stuff. Told people that his mom made books, and oh then he was God. like, "Oh, you only write them." Oh, what a disappointment! How many books have you written, by the way? Um, thirty oh, uh, something. I don't know exactly. Oh my! And how many years? Um, I've been published for four years, so I, I started writing five years ago. You're telling me in five years you've published thirty books? Yeah. That's a quick turnaround. Yeah. I mean, they're not all full-length novels. Some are novellas. I went through a period um, where I put out like a 30,000-word, about 100-page novella kind of every month um, just to get content out there and also practice your writing chops. Like there's, you know, in any industry, we talk about like 10,000 hours, right? Yeah. In writing, we talk about a million words, which is roughly about the same thing as 10,000 hours. And so I really wanted to improve my writing craft. And so the novellas were a really good way to get to that million word mark. Is it difficult to be edited? It was when I started, 100%. It's very humbling. But now I understand. And all writers at the beginning... It doesn't matter how open you think you are to feedback. All writers must go through this very humbling phase where you realize that your first draft is completely unacceptable. And Aww. you will need to polish and revise and polish and revise to turn it into a book that is of equal caliber to other finished products. Yeah, that's like it in radio. We have something called an air check where you sit down with your boss and they listen to uh, you know a, a random. It's always like the worst break you oh, have on the show. <laughs> they like prep to find the worst one of the day. <laughs> no, they just know. And then they'll play it back and you sit in a room and your eyes make contact and you're like, God damn, this yeah. sucks. So yeah, that's humbling as well. But the other thing though is that you also, as a writer, you want to know that you're not going to create a perfect product and that your next book will be better. And so you just have to keep doing it. That's the other reason why I've published so many books is because I do not get hung up on trying to make a book perfect. I try to make it good and then I move on. And I would imagine finding an editor that you trust so you can like send off something that's pretty good and then they'll fix it and then move on. Yeah. And I trust her to read something that has like six uses of the word like like I, I my characters nod like constantly, like bobbing little bobbleheads. Nod, nod, he nodded, she nodded, he nodded, she nodded. I mean like it's terrible. <laughs> but I trust that my editor can read through that and then I will fix and she flags them and she's like, Six nods on this page. That was an awful lot. Where of were their heads when they were nodding? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I gotta be honest, I've read the excerpts for Doctor Bad Boy. You have an excerpt on your uh, on your website, friskybeavers.com. And um, oh by the way, I'm interested in joining your Frisky Beavers toque contest. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> Up until July thirty first, we have this giveaway on our friskybeavers.com website. If you knit us a beaver hat, we will send you a signed paperback. Oh my god! That I see. I thought the contest was something totally different. So that, no. that's interesting. I thought you were going to give out toques with the word "frisky beavers," no. which you know I don't really need in my life. But okay, Just, no, you have to make that yourself. <laughs> Sandra, could you please read an excerpt from yes. Doctor Bad Boy so people could get a taste yeah. of Ainsley Booth? Well, only if you read one character and I'll read the other. What? Do you want you to be Max, Max or do you okay. want me to be? Fi- and I'll, you be Max and I'll be Violet. Hi get the boy (laughs) god damn it do you want me to be the boy no no I can be the boy Max 
The first time I met Violet Roberts, she gave me her submission for the night. The second time I met her, it was across a boardroom and man, was she pissed. Now she insists we have a conflict of interest. She wants us to move forward like grown-ups, but I can't forget our single scorching night together when what I wanted and how I wanted it wasn't a problem because it nailed all her kinky buttons too. Violet, Max Donovan is a dirty, dirty man. <laughs> Deliciously so. But the former child TV star turned renowned pediatrician and best friend to the prime minister is also my client. One of us needs to be responsible, and it's not going to be him. So why can't I forget how utterly incredible it was to be at his mercy? And what am I going to do when he takes his pursuit to the next level? Oh, girl, I'm in. I'm hooked. I'm in. Oh, Max. Um, so um, <laughs> that pretty much wraps up this episode Woo! of The Quick and the Dirty because we need a moment to ourselves. Ooh, girl, I need a shower and a smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you to Zoe York slash Ainsley Booth for uh, coming and hanging out with us today. Happy to be here. On The Quick and the Dirty. And if you want to get a hold of more of her books where can people find you? AinsleyBooth.com, FriskyBeavers.com, or ZoeYork.com. Don't forget about sweet, the tube sweet. contest, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks so, so much. much, Zoe. Coming up next on The Quick and the Dirty, we're going to talk to a psychic medium by the name of Bonnie Thompson. She sees dead people. Oh, I, I wonder if she can tell you anything about your future. I hope not, because... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, she she can see things and she can tell you about your your life, but I think she's one of those psychic mediums that won't tell you if anything bad is going to happen. So, I, I I would you know we'll find out. Yeah, if you want us to give you a call during that podcast, you can email us your number. What a great idea! And uh, you can get us at thequickandthedirty at gmail or if you want to find us on social media, you can find me at SandraKiss1053 on Twitter and Instagram. And me at Hillary Welch or Hillary on Air on Instagram. Or wait a second, we have a Facebook page too, don't we? Yeah, the Quick and the Dirty podcast. That's where you find us. That's where you find us. See you next week.